this is my favorite bit. If this doesn't say Christmas to you, oh, buddy, just imagine a, a witch with a big sickle carrying an empty bowl and shouting a bowl full of blood, a bowl full of guts. Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. Well, I missed getting a show out on Halloween this year. Just had way too much life stuff going on. Been so busy that the queue of cards ran out three or four times because I haven't been able to sit down long enough to get the thousands up there that I'll have to get ready to go. And I think the quality of snark on this year's jokes has been down too, so I humbly apologize for being off my game. But we're not in so dire a situation that you're going to have a year without a Santa Kringle or anything. That'd be no fun. Would be awesome if you all sent me gifts and told me to have a season off to lie in bed. But like any good American who internalized the Protestant work ethic for the guilt but didn't get the good habits, I'd feel all bad and stuff. So I missed you guys. Hope you're all doing well. That you're not too upset you have to probably spend this holiday season with your family after a year off. I know some of you tasted the odd sensation of actually feeling happy on the holidays while sitting in your blissful isolation. But all good things must end. I also hope you're not one of those who got sick or died from COVID. Uh, If you did, I'm so sorry. I'm vaccinated to the gills, though, so it wasn't my fault. Anyway, before we get to the witches, I got one piece of business to remind everyone. I'm still doing the Weird Christmas Flash Fiction Contest again this year. Yay! And if you've forgotten about it until now or didn't see any posts about it, you've got um, about 48 hours from when I hope I'll put this out. So two days. November 15th is the deadline. That's midnight on Monday or 11.59. You know, you can still write it on Monday. Get it to me, no problem. The rules are the same as usual. A short story about something weird or Christmassy or winter holiday related. So you could also do Solstice or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Diwali. You know, I've actually seen a lot of Diwali stuff this year, more than I think I ever had before. So that's pretty cool. I think it's technically over now, but I'll lump it in with the range of the contest. So anything you want. I'm still waiting for QAnon to come up with its own like alternative Christmas. And I would do a whole show filled with QAnon Christmas stories if I could. Because those would be wild. Uh, But I'm digressing. 350 words max, and I'm doing four big prizes this year. One overall winner of $75, then three $50 winners, one for each of three different categories. And all the info is up on the website, and since I know most people probably won't even listen to this till the contest is over, I'm not going to go into all of it right now. But it's all at weirdchristmas.com. All the details, weirdchristmas.com. I really hope you'll think about submitting something. So let's get to the good stuff. We're starting off with my friend Benito Serino, who is kind enough to come share some of his Christmas history knowledge with us every year. We were thinking about what we could cover that would be another slice of folklore that people probably don't know about, so we settled on Christmas witches. And there's a lot, more than I expected, to be honest. But it worked out well, because another episode this year is going to be about the Perchten, which are kind of like Christmas goblins, fairies... Kinda. They're a bit of an offshoot of mid-European Christmas witch folklore. But for those guys, I got the Krampus man, Al Ragnauer, to come talk about them. That's your preview. But for now, just to remind everyone who he is, Benito is a writer. 
of comics and plain old words to he's got a podcast of his own with Chris Sims called Apocrypals, which is a show where, as they say, two non-believers read through the Bible and try not to be jerks about it. It's a great show, whether you're deeply into close studies of biblical or apocryphal texts or not. Uh, But if you like my weird slant on the holidays, you'll definitely like their weird slant on the Bible and other early Christian and Jewish texts. He also just started doing another show that he'll talk about later, and that's probably enough of an introduction since I've talked to him so many times. So next year, I'm just going to yell, Benito Show, and get right to it. And I should also say that I am well aware of the fact that when I finally focus on some female Christmas characters, I have two dudes sitting around talking about them. That didn't click until we'd started chatting, so I apologize. But Linda Radish, if you're listening, and I think you are, hit me up if you know some good stories we missed. Or anyone else, I think it'd be pretty cool to do a show called Disemboweling the Patriarchy, a feminist response to weird Christmas misreporting on Christmas witches. That title will make even more sense when we get to Perkta and Holda, but anyway, that's enough of me. Silent night, I said, hold me tight. The stars look like Christmas lights. Now I wonder how they stay so bright. Sparkly sky, fantastic sight. Sarcastic chick, Christmas witch, bipolar switch, put Santa in a ditch. Remember Jingle Jingle Christmas song? It was game over all along. So today I have fan favorite and host favorite Benito Sereno to come in and regale us with of course, as usual, holiday tradition around here, lots of information about stuff you guys don't know, but that he has in his chock full of Christmas history and trivia brain. Most people may know one of the things we're going to talk about, maybe two, um, and maybe even not one. You know, it depends on kind of how much you've been hanging around here. But we thought this year would be fun to talk about Christmas witches. And there are a lot of them and even some witches for other holidays, too. So Benito, thanks again for talking to me. Yeah, thank you for having me back. You'll always be here. They're an open invitation, just like you keep <laughs> the uh, keep the flu open on the fireplace for Santa every year. Exactly. If if I didn't have this outlet to talk about it, I might I might explode. <laughs> well, last year I, it's a good time to remind people. Last year you put out your series of lectures really on the whole history of Christmas traditions and creatures and characters. And if you missed that last year, I'll put some links up on the show notes for this one, but that is an awesome thing because it, it is like a mini course on not all dark, but a lot of the sort of darker, stranger, weirder, lesser known, especially to Americans, lesser known sides of Christmas history. And it's probably, one of the most comprehensive things I've seen, like there are books out there that focus on Krampus or monsters or about different Santa versions, um, different gift giver figures, but you've got everything. Yeah. The difference between me and those books is I've read all those books and then, <laughs> uh, and then I put them into my YouTube series. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, what's nice about it. It is. So it's like, you know, it's your own, if you're into the great courses or something like that, Benito's got one up on YouTube for Christmas history. Well, uh, thank you. It, it definitely replicates the uh, feeling of a live lecture because they are extremely sparsely edited. <laughs> That's the charm, though. That's what yeah. it is. It's I like to think so. I like to I like to think the fact that at any moment what I'm saying might be interrupted by my cats fighting and I didn't edit that out. Um, and I it think, was a few times. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. Yeah. I think it adds to the I think it adds to the authenticity of the experience. <laughs> cool. So Christmas witches, um, I, we were decided we'd start with the one that I think most people 
might have heard of, or at least if any of these you're going to be familiar with, this first one is the one you've probably heard of before, uh, because at least it's European and and, <laughs> and a, a sort of Western European, I guess is what I'd say. You know, I guess some of the other ones are European, but these this is the sort of it's Italian, and more people seems like they've they've heard of this character, but it's La Bafana. Yeah, La Bafana. Um, I, I have a, there's a special place in my heart for La Bafana because. Um, she's probably the first international Christmas figure I learned about, like back when I was in elementary school. Oh, cool. Uh, we got an assignment to to do a report on Christmas in other countries. And I landed on Italy. I think I probably chose Italy because of my interest in uh, Greek and Roman mythology. So the way it usually went among my friends who were all into Greek and Roman mythology um, when we had to pick a country, someone would grab Greece first and then mm-hmm. someone next would grab Italy. Yeah. And so I think I got lucky that time and got Italy. And so, uh, yeah, so Bifana holds a special place in my heart um, as one of the starting points on my uh, deep dive into uh, Christmas lore. But yeah, I think I think she's pretty relatively well known. There's a movie even uh, about La Bifana that came out in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um the Legend of the Christmas Witch by uh, Michele Suave, who was uh, previously um, known for horror movies um, like The Church and Cemetery Man. Uh, Stage Fright, I think, is one of his. Um, but he made this children's movie that got an English translation. Um, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I think that's where I saw it, I think, if I remember. Um, I think the original Italian title is uh, La Bifana Vien de Notte, which is La Bifana Comes in the Night. It's like the first line of like the traditional La Bifana song. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the original title. But it's uh, in English, I think it's The Legend of the Christmas Witch. Although Christmas Witch is a little bit of a misnomer because mm-hmm. A, she doesn't come at Christmas, and B, she's not really a witch. Like She's only <laughs> yeah. superficially... A witch. She looks like a witch, right? She looks like an old woman who rides around on a flying broom. Yeah. She is uh, generally, a, she's seen as a positive figure, right? She's a Santa Claus style figure. So it's not mm-hmm. like she's a witch that you're afraid of. Although, you know, she's got the the reward and punishment halves of her. Yeah. The kind of standard backstory for her is that she was um, a woman who lived in Bethlehem or nearby when the... Uh, the Magi were coming looking for Jesus and they stop in at her house and she's a really good host for them. She cooks for them. Um, And then she's, uh, they say, you should come with us to see the new King. And she says, Oh no, I'm, I'm too busy with my cleaning, Mm -hmm. sweeping up the house. And she doesn't go with them. Sometimes it's because her own child recently died or something. And she has feelings about that, but she eventually changes her mind. She wishes that she had gone and she runs out to find the Magi. She never finds them. And so ever since then, she's been roaming the world looking for the Christ child and rewarding good children that she encounters. Yeah. Since. Like some variation on that right. is the basic story. But it's always, to me, it's always been a sad story. Like she's yeah. being slightly punished, but not necessarily for like being since like severely selfish, right? Because she's either yeah. just still cleaning. And even you said the more sympathetic versions where maybe she's, yeah, she's lost a child. And so she doesn't want to go face the pain or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, but she has this sort of eternal or however long you want to say, however, because sometimes I guess there's, I've seen legends before where it says that 
she'll do this to the second coming or something yeah. like that. So I, yeah. but for all intents and purposes, in, eternal punishment, but she makes it into something good along the way. I yeah. Suppose. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of my favorite details. So uh, another thing Bafana has in common with Santa is she specifically gives coal to bad children. Mm. And so one of my favorite details is that in, in Italy, the tradition is um, pretty much every kid gets uh, black rock candy made to look like coal. Oh, um, gotcha. It's coal because every kid's a little bit bad, but it's candy because every kid's a little bit good. Uh, um, that's nice. It's it's a nice um, nice detail, nice little touch. But like, yeah, Bafana is super popular. Uh, certainly more traditional than you know Babbo Natale, the Italian version of the American Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, they have big festivals where where they'll have you know, people dressed up as Bafana, there'll be multiple ones around this, you know, town square or whatever that do tricks, dance, juggle, whatever. And what night does she come to? That was the other thing. Cause she doesn't come on Christmas. Right. She comes for epiphany. Um, then the name Bafana is a corruption of Epiphania, mm-hmm. right? So, um, January, uh, 5th, 6th is when she comes. Yeah. And, uh, so it, it typically, you know, in Europe, at least, there's either a St. Nicholas tradition before Christmas or an epiphany tradition after Christmas and not usually both in terms of like gift giving. Um, and it, it's often a North South divide. Oh, so um, Southern Europe, Italy, Greece, Spain, their big gift giving holidays tend to be um, epiphany rather than um, St. Nicholas Day or mm. Christmas or uh, could also be New Year's Greece New, New Year's or really for them it's St. Basil's Day but um, that's the big gift giving day there so yeah it's it's interesting that there's it's a geographical divide I would I think Al Ridenauer would probably say it has to do literally with the geography in terms of when things get dark and cold and the Mm, farther North you go, the earlier that happens. And so, and so you have these holidays earlier in the season in the darker, colder latitudes. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. And she's called a Christmas witch, but I always assumed that that's just because she's usually seen like flying on a broom or something, but at least from most of the stories I know, she doesn't, you know, she's not casting hexes or anything like that, but there is that sort of magical female idea, right. That she's right flying around but are there any versions of the story you know where she actually is more like a witch um there's it's certainly one of those things where modern scholars are trying to find scholars uh grain of salt uh yeah yeah. try to try to find connections to the ancient and the pagan right Mm. and that's one i definitely major grain of salt for me on on those because uh, a lot of times I'm very skeptical, but certainly they there are those who try to connect the modern Bafana to um, an ancient pagan witch figure uh, called Strinia. I don't know. I don't know about it. It is it is a theory. I'm not I'm not super convinced, but. <laughs> well, I know, too, the one thing that confused me, especially when I first started, like gathering all the postcards was there are also a bunch of cards that show multiple Bafanas flying around on brooms. But then once I actually translated what it says, they're like happy Easter. <laughs> so yeah. we will we'll talk about that, but there, and people have sent me cards before and they're like, look, I found this cool Bafana thing. Um, but then it turns out to be an Easter card. So there yeah, is, I'm, there's, there's, there is more generally an association of, of 
which is in Christmas. I mean, that's why there's enough for us to, you know, have an episode's worth of material right. to talk about. <laughs> but, um, but you know, witches just like ghosts and werewolves and other things, uh, goblins, fairies, they were considered to be out and about in the wintertime because it's dark because it's a semiotically charged time of the year, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Just like, just like last year talking about werewolves. Why do, why are werewolves associated with Christmas? Well, because it's dark, it's scary. Yeah. There's a frisson of magic in the air, you know? And I think that's just it. I mean, to the point where, I mean, obviously, gosh, how many postcards of, of witches have you posted a, a lot? I mean, even yeah. literally, even uh, yes, obviously, uh, Easter is the, is the association in Sweden, and and then in Germany, I would say you know Saint John's Eve is the big one, or or Walpurgisnacht in some places are the big nights associated with witches, but but Christmas too, to the point. I mean, like English, I'm sure you've got English language postcards that have witches on them saying you know Merry Christmas, mm-hmm. and that would have made sense to. Uh, it would have made sense to a Victorian because it's just like, yeah, it's spooky time. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm he Benito shared some notes with me and I'm just looking at this and you got babushka written down there. And I know I know babushka because my wife's Polish and we go to like a pierogi fest that's down the street <laughs> like every yeah. year. And there's always the babushkas, the, the grandmas yeah. who are there. Um, in Russia, one of the gift bringers, although not uh, not as widespread these days as uh, Dead Moros, who's uh-huh. the main one now um uh babushka which whose name just means yeah grandma um is the russian variation on bafana she's got basically the same backstory Mm -hmm. the same look and the same deal um same deal in uh the dominican republic they have a figure called la vieja belen which means the old lady from bethlehem uh same backstory same basic deal i think uh the difference is she comes a week after um, epiphany so like on epiphany the three kings come because uh, they're the big gift bringers in a lot of uh spanish-speaking countries and but in the dominican republic um la vieja belen comes a week later and gives presents to uh children too poor to have gotten anything gotcha. on actual epiphany gotcha and is there anything in like i don't think in the actual canonical gospels but is there anything is this a character that shows up in any of the apocryphal stuff um not that i've encountered so okay. far okay. um this year we will be covering some more uh three kings lore stuff that i haven't had a chance to look at but um we in the past have covered a really popular uh, medieval text about the magi that added all sorts of details like their secret base and their uh, magical treasury and all that kind of stuff awesome. but um <laughs> But nothing like this. Uh, I I think this is uh, this is just a independently developed tradition, and 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 the story is almost certainly retrofitted to adapt an already existing character. Right. Right. Know? All right. So we got Italy. So where are we going to yeah. go next year? Um, well, another uh, witchy gift bringer I wanted to look at is uh, Tanta Ari, um, who is a French gift bringer specifically in the region of uh, Franche-Comté, uh, which is Burgundy, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a, an extremely regional gift bringer. But again, she is a benevolent figure that looks like a witch. She looks like an old woman, an old woman with a young woman's face. 
Uh, oh, that's interesting. That's yeah, weird. and she and she's uh, depicted as a good fairy um, rather than being called a witch, but she has a look that you know an American uh, certainly would look at and and understand as a witch because hmm. she's got that kind of crone look, like a peasant's dress, buckled shoes. She also has a splayed out goose like feet or swan like feet, um, similar to Perkta, who is a major figure that I think we'll probably touch on. Yeah. But she's benevolent. She's a gift bringer. She's got a donkey named Marion. Uh, she lives in a cave and you can go and visit the cave and leave gifts of food. And uh, if you That's leave out, cool. yeah. And if you leave out uh, gifts for Marion, like hay or salt uh, or like carrots or whatever um, she gives, she leaves gifts, toys, the traditional we, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what they do today, right? Like yeah. in in the traditional things, you know, candy and nuts. Yeah. And now it's probably like Hatchimals and Nintendo Switch, <laughs> I guess. I like the cave, though, because it's like you can go see Santa at the mall, but to actually go to the place where she's supposedly. Yeah, lives. there's there's a couple of different caves that are supposed to be the one where she lives. But I think the best known one is called the Cave of the Comme Noir in Blamont, which oh. I don't know where that is. I have seen pictures of it. But uh, it, I know what a blamal is, but I not it's not spelled the same. Oh, is it different? Okay, <laughs> it's, it's spelled different. It's not the same as the it's dessert the, and not the Monty Python. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, B L A M O N T. Oh, okay. Um, oh, blamal, not not blamange or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Me and French and I don't get along very well. No, uh, yeah. Of of the main Romance languages, it is the one with which I am least comfortable. Yeah. Um, no, that's not true. Romanian is way way weirder to me. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, in fact, another a cool thing is that uh, she is one of a handful of uh, Christmas figures who have been associated with real historical figures. Oh, cool. Um, you know, Santa Claus and St. Nicholas, to, to the degree that we can accept that St. Nicholas of Myra was a historical right. personage, which right. maybe he wasn't. But also uh, Hans Trapp being associated with Hans von Trotta. That's an interesting one. Uh that's mm-hmm. the discussion for a different show. Christmas but, Vagabonds. Yeah, exactly. Um, Tanta Ari, the name means uh, like Aunt Harriet, basically, is the is what the name means. But she is associated with the historical figure of uh, Henriette of Montbelliard. And she's supposed to be a reincarnation of her. She was a countess from the 15th century who's famous for her bravery and being a staunch protector of Montbelliard. Um, after her husband disappeared, the story says that she herself put on armor and led the army against, uh, invaders. And they say that she was so beloved that when she died in 1444, uh, the prayers of people, uh, lifted her up into heaven where she was changed into an immortal fairy person. And now she, now she and her donkey give presents. There's a couple of like weirder elements that are, I think, again, people trying to, trying to um, draw an association with an old, with older pagan things. Yeah. So there's, you'll find stories. If you were to Google her, you'll find people talking about how, like when she's in that cave, she changes into a dragon and she's actually a dragon hoarding uh, gold in there. <laughs> wow. And sometimes you'll see versions where she's got, you know, iron teeth or iron nose, similar to Perksta and Holda. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, more generally associated with winter, similar to Holda, she's got a thing where, like they say, the snow is her shaking out the edges of her skirts. And that's mm, where the cool. the snow comes from or it's from her pulling out uh, threads from the hem of her skirt or whatever. Um, my favorite one 
that sounds completely um, fake lore to me, but that I like enough that I have incorporated it into my own uh, Christmas writings is that she's married to the man in the moon. And, oh, cool. uh, and every Christmas Eve, uh, they renew their vows and he turns around so you can see the man of the moon. He turn he turns around to look at the earth once a year on, on Christmas Eve. Um, hmm. That's fun. And uh, yeah, so I, I like that one. Um, it, it doesn't pass the smell test to me, but I like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so yeah that's another cool one um yeah and i've never known much about her like i've seen her listed in yeah like, female christmas figures and things like that but i've for never, sure never really known much about her but like because like you said she really is very regional extremely like regional yeah. yeah like specifically like a county in france you know yeah. um so like definitely not as big as uh Père noel uh who's kind of the pan french get right gift bringer at this point um yeah. or saint nicholas in the in the catholic regions or um chris kindle in some of the other regions you know yeah chris kindle i think is bigger in um like alsace and other regions where that have occasionally also been germany mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah extremely regional but very cool and i think much beloved I, I think that's the cool thing about a lot of these super regional gift bringers is that the people who have them really appreciate them. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can occasionally be really fierce about trying to ward off um, the cultural assimilation of, of an American Santa Claus coming in. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like I've seen reports of that in various parts of Germany and how people get like, even kind of clamp up every now and then, like when people come in trying to say, can you tell us about so-and-so or something? They're just, they, they really don't want to mess with anything that sort of keeps it from, yeah, something being special about that place, which kind of makes me understand like why people get so protective of Tour de Pete. Like, even though there's some obvious problems though, but there's, there's that sense of, you know, this is special for us. This is something that's here. And yeah. So, well, I told you before that I'm probably talking to um, Al Radenauer, who's about the Perkton, which are a whole other part of Christmas lore. Um, but that name Perkta, I mean, we've said it a couple times and she's the one most often is she, she's the one who probably is the one that most people might've heard of. If, if La Bafana, she's maybe the second most popular one. I would yeah, guess. Sure. I, I feel like I, we should say something about her just cause she's so yeah, powerful. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to step on Al's toes at all. Uh, cause he has done deeper dives into this stuff but, but i'm, I'm going to push him onto the even weirder sort of nice. versions of the the fairy goblin-ish Perkta nice that are different so um so uh Perkta and holda are two different names uh regional differences but holda in the north and Perkta in the south um for a very similar figure and there's also variants on those names holda holda hola Perkta, parata barata berta whatever but the most commonly seen ones are usually Perkta. Holda and Holda in the north, Perkta in the south of Germany, I should say, mm-hmm. and Austria. Um, and they are, uh, yeah, they're witch figures. They're both associated with the wild hunt. Um, they lead processions during um, the 12 days of Christmas of variously ghosts, witches, the souls of unbaptized children, whatever, right? And the, um, they really are 
darker. Like they are more they, like yes. proper witches. Like what right. I think the merit, the English word, witch usually means. Is, right. Yeah. yeah. Like we, we have definitely transitioned, you know, from Bafana and, and Tantaria, we've got, we've got benevolent witch looking figures. Yeah. We're, we're definitely transitioning here, right? Perkta and Holda also famously, they're very, um, dualistic in the sense that they have light and dark sides, mm. um, which, and you know, when, when Ridenauer's on, he'll surely talk about the two types of Perkton. Um, you have the Shun Perkton, the beautiful Perkton, mm-hmm. and you have the Shach Perkton, the, the, the bad ones, ones yeah. the ugly ones. And the, the ugly ones tend to be much more what we would identify as a Krampus, that kind mm-hmm. of demonic looking shaggy figure, yeah. um, or, or other kind of monsters. Some of them are just straight up like, uh, a man in a bear costume or whatever. Yeah. Um, the, um, the guys, the, the clacking mouth goat, um, that kind of stuff. And then the Schoenpexen would be all kinds of things. Um, people with, they, they might just look like beautiful women or they might have, they, some of them have these enormous, uh, mounted displays up on their heads that might be like 10, 15 feet tall. Yeah. Some of the craziest pictures in his Krampus book. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, so, I mean, these are, uh, these are supposed to be her procession, right? The basically mm-hmm. the, the wild hunt. Um, and so that dichotomy is both in their character and then also in their followers. And so both Perkta and Holda, both versions um, are associated with uh, women's arts, especially uh, spinning. And so if you are good at your spinning, you take care of all of the, um, all the fiber, you turn it into thread um, that's good. You take care of the thread and you get it made into something that's better. Um, if you don't, you might experience terrible punishments, uh, pairs the most famously ripping open your, uh, guts with an iron anchor <laughs> and, uh, emptying out your, your thorax and stuffing dirt and garbage <laughs> in there and then sewing it back up with an iron chain or something like Damn. that. But, uh, if you're rewarded, it's supposed to be like, you know, at the, if at the begin the beginning of the twelve days of Christmas, as many threads are on your spindle, you'll have that many years of bad luck, or sorry, good luck. But at the end of Christmas, that many that are still on your spindle, it's that many years of bad luck. Dang. And so, you know, the, it's they're definitely kind of moralistic figures about you know industry and uh, you know getting your work done, but specifically women's yeah. crafts, like specifically spinning and. Uh, weaving and and those kind of things. Now, one thing I don't, I've never really been clear on is, is Perkta, I mean, we talk about her having the good side, but is she really a gift bringer? In some regions, yeah. Like, okay. she she does reward well-behaved and industrious young women. Um, also, there's the stories of how, like, people who encounter her and her train out on the road who help her um, are rewarded in some way. Okay. Like, one where like her chariot wheel breaks off and he fixes it and she rewards him by giving the, giving him the wood shavings and then they turn into gold coins. Um, one that I like a lot is, um, I, I, my preferred interpretation is that, uh, Perkta's train is made up of, uh, unbaptized children. Oh, I like that. Okay. And the soul, the souls of unbaptized mm-hmm. children. And, um, one such, story has her out and about with them uh following her oh they have a name nah if i can't remember what it is but uh just a passerby happens to see perkta and her ghostly train of of children 
lim- you know, limbo babies. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and he sees the last one looking, you know, like a ghost and like torn up clothes and stuff. And he goes, oh, you poor little ragamuffin, except, you know, in German. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what the word is. I don't remember if it's like, you know, schnickel fritz or whatever. Yeah. But like um, when he says that, it's the closest anyone has ever come to giving that child a name because it's ne- never oh, been wow. okay. never been baptized, mm-hmm. right? And so by giving the child a name, even if it's Ragamuffin, he's basically christened that child and the child's able to ascend to heaven. And so Perkthor rewards this person for doing oh, wow. that with, you know, uh, gold or whatever. That's pretty cool. Um, I like that. But yeah, so the the wild hunt, like what what is her relation to the wild hunt? And I, I mean, uh, so the name is a little bit misleading because I I think you hear it and you imagine, uh, people hunting for something, right? Which right. which which sometimes is the case. There are some regional variations where the the wild hunt, the hunting party of ghosts or witches or demons or monsters of various kinds, um flying zooming through the air right sometimes they are actually hunting something um in some regional variations it typically is what do they call uh most viable uh, moss women there's like in alpine areas or like near um the hearts mountain there's like traditionally believed to be like little moss people who live in the woods and yeah. the wild hunt is specifically trying to hunt down their women um a lot of times it's just um, some traditional figure with a train of followers that can be all sorts of different things. Uh, sometimes they have spectral dogs or whatever with them as well. But the idea is just that they're they're zipping about and you don't want to run into them. <laughs> it's basically, you know, it's one of those like pieces of folklore that develops around like the metaphor of the wild winter winds, right? Yeah. The, the idea of like leaves and things blowing through the wind evoke uh, this kind of wild, mad, unbridled um, hunting party dashing through the air. Right. Um, and there's all sorts of leaders. Yeah. Uh, Pertha and Holda, um, Odin and probably the oldest European version. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I always, in, that's in my head, it's always Odin leading. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Speaking of Al Ridenour again, he's got a really great episode of his podcast, Bone and Sickle, where he talks about the French wild hunt figure of um, El Cain. Oh, yeah. Uh, who develops into Harlequin. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really interesting one. Um, sometimes it's historical figures that get associated with the wild hunt. Sir Francis Drake is said to lead one. Um, King Arthur, to the extent that he's an historical figure, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, probably the most American version is in the song uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky, right? You've got the ghostly cowboys who are damned to drive the devil's herd. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, it's, just, it's the same idea, right? You have spectral, spectral riders through the sky. In this case, they're, they're driving uh, cattle that breathe flames and things. But, uh, you know, it's the same idea. Get the eye So yeah, Perkta and Holda are associated with that. Um, they're also they're associated with uh, the mountain Herselberg, and the idea is like most of the year, Holda is in there with the souls of the damned, and if you go close to the mouth of the cave, you can hear them screaming or whatever. And then ah, at, and cool. then at Christmas time, she leads them out right, and they're supposed to be like a dude, loyal Eckhart 
who stands near the entrance of the cave to tell, to warn people away not to go into the Herzlberg. Oh wow! Um, okay, yeah, which is it's associated also with uh, the Venusberg from like the Ton, from the Tannhäuser story. I was gonna say maybe that's why I'm thinking it's familiar because I'm like yeah. I didn't know that was connected with Perkter Holden. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Perkter's got her fingers, got her weird witch fingers and everything. Um, <laughs> cool. So. But yeah, continuing in this direction, looking at this time of year, the 12 days Mm -hmm. of Christmas between Christmas and Epiphany, uh, definitely witches are thought to be out at this time. And um, in Germany or certainly parts of Germany, uh, the Alps, Alpine areas, the 12 days of Christmas are called uh, the Raunechte, which is typically understood to mean the smoky nights, like like Rauch is Mm -hmm. smoke, but it might mean furry nights or raw nights but nobody knows exactly, exactly the etymology yeah um this the idea of them as smoky nights has to do with the idea of the incense that gets burned to drive out um evil spirits and witches and things um and there's no shortage of witches associated with these these nights in different regions partic- but particularly alpine regions yeah for example uh there is uh, the Druda, who is a night hag, right? The kind, the kind of like sits on your chest and causes sleep paralysis. Kind of night <laughs> hag um, will smother you in your sleep. Um, can only be driven off by the five pointed star, the pentagram, uh, which in German is called the Drudenfuss, the the Druda's foot. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and uh, so it's con- so. I mean, I think American listeners probably by this point know about Krampus groups in the Alps where people, they dress up uh, as Krampus. Usually they are usually horny young men uh, Mm -hmm. who put on uh, horned masks. Yes. They put on (laughs) horned masks, um, suits covered with goat hair and they have whips made out of horse tails or whatever, or cow tails. And uh, they go around and they, uh, they a lot of times they parade now, but like the more traditional thing is the the house bazooch, the house visit where Saint Nicholas comes with a couple of Krampus and they intimidate the children and they shove a table around and stuff. <laughs> um, they do a little they do a little play and then they hand out little bags of treats and that kind of stuff. Um, so the so the Krampus groups Krampus uh, pass they're called. There's also groups who do costumed. Raunacht uh, appearances. The I don't know. They go to like public uh, Christmas markets and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and there'll be a whole troop of people in all sorts of different costumes, and um, you can find their website. Like I, uh, I have bookmarked the website for um, Raunacht Waldkirchen um, to see. It's uh, it's all in German. But uh, it has a list of like all of the different figures oh, cool. that, that they have, the ones that are traditional. Um, Bloody Thomas is a favorite of mine, oh, right? Wow. Because a lot, a lot of the Raunacht, um figures are dark versions of Advent saints. Oh, um, okay, that makes so, sense. So, so Bloody sense. Thomas is the is the scary ogre version of Saint Thomas, whose yeah. um, day is December twenty first, I think. And, um, ah, uh, that's cool. Okay. And so, and so he's, uh, they call him, they also call him, uh, Damo mit dem Hamel. So he's Tommy with the hammer, 
because he carries <laughs> around a big bloody hammer. The the the, the awesome. origin is supposed to be that uh, Saint Thomas' Day was like the traditional day for like butchering animals, and so mm-hmm. like there would be butchers wandering around the village covered in blood, and uh, so the idea was, oh, he's this spooky ogre yeah. figure that comes out on this day, but um. Yeah, so these groups will have people dressed like that. The the Zalevogel, the soul bird, who's like one of those like clacking beaked um, birds. He kind of mm-hmm. looks like a creepy stork. And the idea is he'll he'll swallow your soul. And uh, gosh, what else? Uh, let's see. And then uh, witches. I know I found a picture of something like that when I was looking for the Perkton because I thought it was, oh, it's another Perkton group. But then, yeah, it had all these. Yeah, there's, yeah, a, there's, it was something different. Right, there's overlap between your Krampus groups, your Perkton groups. Uh, your roundhouse groups and again you know it's it's regional they mostly are going on at the same time and so like i don't know what you have probably depends on where you live right but um this 12-day period has these figures many of which are witches like the druda um the witch uh vecklin who uh is cursed to dance during the 12 nights of christmas in a pair of burning slippers because in life oh, she, that's cool. she beat a child to death with a, sh- a shoe. Um, and then uh, another story is uh, Herodias, the, the wife of, of Herod Antipas from the, from the gospels uh, conflated with her daughter, Salome. She's not, Salome is not named in the Bible, but gets that traditional name. So, but Herodias and Salome become conflated in uh, tradition. The one who demanded uh, the head of John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um from uh from herod and uh so herodias uh according to again a regional legend um the severed head of john the baptist on the um platter she goes to kiss it mockingly but instead the severed head of john the baptist hisses with such power that it blows herodias into the air and she can't (laughs) land and every year at christmas she is um she's doomed to to perform her swirling twirling dance on the winds but she will still steal children and one regional variation on the story says that she danced on the fr- a frozen lake lake Iceton, um and she broke through the ice where she drowned and froze and returned as wait for it perta and that is Ooh, that's the origin of perta cool. in this version of the story uh other Raunacht, uh witches from this from this webpage, uh, Waldkirchen, they have a group of uh, the called the Flansenberger witches, and um, their performance is based on the superstition that during the twelve nights of Christmas you shouldn't hang out laundry to dry because ghosts or witches will get tangled up hmm. in the hanging laundry, and so they reenact this kind of thing. So they have wi- uh, people dressed up as witches um, with brooms. They have um, censers full of smoking incense. Um, and then they'll run in procession through the square, sweeping out evil and that kind of stuff. And it says here, their group is 15 witches, all women between 20 to 50. That's a little bit unusual. A lot of these groups, even when there's female figures, it'll be young men and mm-hmm. uh, wearing dresses or whatever. But there's, there's a handful where it's actually women. A couple more of those I'll be talking about in just a second, but um Let's see their typical costume, dark shoes, dark green patterned skirt, black cape, paper mache, witch mask, black headscarf with a long wig underneath. Um, and they carry a broom and some of them have a, um, 
a stole made out of fox fur, including the head and everything. So there's kind of a standard look hmm. for them. Uh, yeah, the, the 12 Nights of Christmas are also, uh, in some regions, a time where uh, witch trials are reenacted, um, including the burnings. You know, they'll, bur- they'll have witch figures burned in effigy. Uh, those, those are recreated in various uh, plays and other kind of displays. That's common in the, the 12 Nights of Christmas, leading up to Epiphany, which in some regions is, Epiphany is kind of considered the beginning of the carnival season which in a lot of Europe carnival is a, is a much bigger deal than it is in America where most people don't even know what it is or they, or at best they associate, they think of new Orleans, Mardi Gras, I guess Um, it's probably the closest America gets to uh, thinking about carnival. But um, yeah, epiphany is key as the transition from the Christmas season into the carnival season. Let's see other witches. Oh yeah. So speaking of the wild hunts as we were, one of the wild hunt figures is uh, in Switzerland, in areas of Switzerland, um, there's a hunter named Torst, uh, who is famous for his wild hunt, including him and uh, a pack of three-legged dogs that are uh, the transformed souls of children that have gotten in his way. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's not a threat. Yeah, so it, uh, I think, let's see, Lucerne. He's, he's near Lucerne. So if you're caught in his path, he will say, he says something like uh, three feet to the right, get out of my way. Right. Except in oh, like, Swiss, yeah. Swiss German. And if you don't, then yeah, you get changed into one of his three legged dogs, but he's accompanied by his wife who is a witch named Stregula. Um, and there's also a fire eyed phantom called the Fafengalern. Hmm. So there, there you go. Uh, so th- those are a couple of Raunox witches, but as I mentioned, uh, the Raunox are a key period for dark versions of, of Advent saints and two of the main ones are uh, St. Lucy and St. Barbara. Uh, St. Lucy's day is on December 13th, St. Barbara's day, December 3rd. And so those being in the Advent season means they often get roped into a lot of these kind of um, Raunacht processions and celebrations. Although uh, St. Lucy has a number of dark versions around with all sorts of names. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, St. Lucy is big, like the real, like the real St. Lucy is big in uh, Scandinavia as she's the, she's the saint of light. And so, uh, and December 13th, her day on the Julian calendar would have been the darkest night of the year. And so uh, she's associated with bringing light out of the darkness and so on. And so these days, you know, St. Lucy is represented by a, a young girl in a white dress with a a wreath of candles around mm-hmm. her head leading a procession of carol singers or whatever. Um, and I think people are starting to recognize her a little more around. Yeah. Like I've th- seen her pop up in more and more things. Yeah. I think so too. Um, but you know, before that kind of modern take on it, which really kind of congealed as it is today around world war two, um, Norway prior to that, uh, Lucy spelled L U S S I was a much darker witch like figure and um, that night was known as Lucinata. I probably said it wrong because I don't understand Scandinavian pronunciation. <laughs> but uh, Lucy's night and uh, Lucy or the Lucybrug led a wild hunt style procession full of ghosts and witches um, that were, was called the Lucifer. And they went through the skies 
uh, anyone that they saw working on that night would be punished. This is cool because I'd like to see like Lucy. I always think of as apart from when she's like carrying her eyes, but otherwise she seems like such a like beautiful, happy figure full of light. And so to have this sort of the other story. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've got, you've definitely got this. Yeah. This darker version where she's leading a bunch of goblins onto your farm and they'll eat all your bread and drink all of your beer. Uh, (laughs) Lucy comes down the chimney to punish children who don't go to bed on time. Um, And also St. Lucy's night or Lucy night is when animals can talk. In most most oh, uh, wow. tra- most traditions, it's Christmas Eve when animals are able to to magically talk, but you don't want to hear them because <laughs> bad things happen to people who hear the animals talk. Oh wow! Um, but uh, yeah, so Norwegian tradition, because of the fear of witches being out and about in the Christmas season, uh, you hide your brooms on Christmas Eve um, because that's the night that yeah, witches are out and about. There's even similar to we talked about the the idea that anyone born on Christmas would become a werewolf last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a tradition: a woman born at midnight on Christmas Eve will become a witch. That's a Italian or Italian American one. Um, mm. But uh, that was a brief aside that had nothing to do with Saint Lucy. It was just a a, a note that I had it's in the same good. paragraph. Um, <laughs> But it's good uh, now, and I've got like you know I've got all the same questions about that I had about the werewolves. Like, yeah, why why is it so bad? And it's just <laughs> like you're you're getting into baby Jesus's area. Exactly. <laughs> um, the the dark counterpart of Lucy in Bavaria and Austria is called uh, Schaka Lutz or Bladiga Lutz. So d- bad bad Lucy or bloody or Lucy, bloody Lucy, yeah, or um, the Lutzelfrau, uh, who. Uh, dresses up in rags and carries a sickle or a knife or something and uh, goes around on the night of December 12th. And you're supposed to leave out like gifts of food for her um, or an old, at least hopefully this doesn't still happen, but in the traditional version, she would sneak into homes and surprise the people with loud sounds uh, (laughs) and then run away. This is my, this is, this is my favorite bit. If this doesn't say Christmas to you, oh, buddy, just imagine a, a witch with a big sickle uh, <laughs> carrying an empty bowl and shouting a bowl full of blood, a bowl full of guts. <laughs> um, it was said that she would throw naughty children into the river or cut their guts open and wind their intestines up on uh, the distaff, her, uh, <laughs> you know, for thread. Uh that's like the second disembowel. Yeah, it is. I think it it, so far. it yeah. probably there's certainly some DNA, Perkta DNA, uh, in this figure yeah. for sure. Um, let's see. It's definitely. It's almost kind of getting into that, you know, the the Icelandic Yule lads thing too. Of like, yeah, the, the trickster yeah. a little bit and the yeah, for sure. Yule lads stuff, don't yeah. typically get like full yeah, on bloody. Right. Um, definitely not this. Yeah. Uh, where she carries a bloody head on a plate or scrapes off the tongues and skins of bad children with broken glass. I guess, you know, Lucy carrying the eyes on the plate was, that was just a, a little <laughs> foreshadowing for That's what right. the dark side was. Wow. Um, let's see. Another dark Lucy. Um, this one, I think some people might've seen pictures of not knowing what it was because uh, last year um, there was an image that went kind of semi-viral because kind of looked like a plague doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, yeah. um, so the German speaking regions of, uh, the Czech Republic, formerly known as Bohemia, um, they have a figure called the Lucka, which, 
uh, has a large beak instead of a face, right? Like, it's, don't imagine any eyes or anything, just a large mm-hmm. white conical beak. Yeah. And so usually that beak is held on a wooden frame. Sometimes it has a, a gimmick inside so it can clack. Uh, but then, yeah, like draped in, in white. And so, yeah, the image went, went crazy because someone was like, look at this plague nurse. And, you know, because of the pandemic, yeah. people mm-hmm. were desperate for plague content, I guess. But, um, but I saw yeah. a lot of plague doctors. I saw three plague doctors for Halloween. This Did year. you? I saw yeah. um, I saw one out at our uh, Halloween uh, festival downtown. Yeah. Um, but uh, Laka, similar to Perikta, is a figure of um, domestic responsibility. And so the Laka's main implement is the Faderwish, a um, feather wipe, which is usually like an, a, an entire joint from a goose's wing, but used like a feather duster. And oh, wow. the Laka, that tra- traveling from house to house, would come in and then like comically knock all the things off of your mantle or whatever with the with the, <laughs> the Faderwish. Um so yeah, witches on St. Lucy's night uh, were particularly feared. Uh, accompanying the lucka, which can be in groups, um, in the plural, lucky, lucky, I don't know Czech at all, but spelled like the word lucky in English, but is, is the plural. But uh, St. Barbara, like I said, um, December 3rd is her day. And so the night before, um, you'd have Barborka, which means little little Barbara, Barborki in the, in the plural. And we should say too, in general, like, there's a whole ton of St. Barbara lore that, oh, for sure. that we, you know, even when we talk about the sort of witchy stuff here, but there's just tons and tons of stuff yeah, about um, her. Yeah. St. Barbara's night and St. Lucy's night both have a lot of magical properties around them. Um, lots of fortune telling opportunities, very similar to um, Halloween, how Halloween mm-hmm. used to be in the U S a lot of the nights and around Christmas, uh, you know, St. Barbara's Eve, St. Lucy's Eve, uh, Christmas Eve, um, New Year's Eve, like um, all these nights are supposed to be like the prime time for certain fortune telling mm-hmm. rituals that you can do. Um, the Blygeeson being one of the big ones The you drip the molten lead into the cold water and then whatever shape it hardens into is supposed to be predictive of what your year will be like. Yeah. Um, and so similarly, uh, Barborka, meaning little Barbara, is not only the name of uh, these figures, these costume figures who look like uh, they wear white dresses, um, kind of like a, I don't know, like a communion dress or like almost bridal in a, fa- in a way. And they wear either masks or veils or most commonly they drape their hair in front of their face uh, like Samar sadako from the ring right yeah um <laughs> not not creepy at all even yeah they the wear ring, yeah. white dress white dresses with red sashes they carry uh baskets that have like treats in them in one hand and then a broom or like a uh like a carpet beater in the other hand and um they travel in packs they go from house to house they beat on the windows with the carpet beaters and they're like are there any good kids in here or whatever um but also this name barborka is also used for, in German, they're called Barbara Barbara twigs, Barbara branches. You cut off a branch from uh, from a tree, uh, you put it in water, and you hope that it blooms, and the number of blooms are supposed to in, be indicative of your future in some way, usually oh, cool. your romantic future, mm-hmm. right? Whoever's, whoever's blooms the fastest is the first one that'll get married in the household or whatever, right? So in Bohemia, you get these Barborki and the Lucky, these kind of spooky versions of uh, Barbara, and uh, Lucy, very 
witch-like in their appearances. Um, the Alps, the Bavarian Alps also have um, dark versions of uh, Barbara as well, called the Berbola, the wild Barbaras. Um, they come out on St. Barbara's Eve. Yeah. Uh, again, similar costumes, peasant skirts, aprons, cowbells. They carry switches. The cool thing about the Bavarian Barbaras is they have um, masks, usually like handmade masks that are covered in like forest debris. It's like moss, pine cones, mm-hmm. lichen, whatever, right? Just like glued onto their faces. Almost um, sort of like a green man thing. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. And they they do a procession, they do a parade, they throw, you know, treats to good, ki- to good kids, and then they have sticks to swat. Um, and the fact that they're called wild barbers is just the best um yeah and what's what's cool is the regions that and so first of all the wild barbaras are one of the few groups where they are definitely all portrayed by women um but also they typically overlap regionally with the areas where the krampus variation are the clausen which are the ones where instead of like the wooden masks they have entirely uh furred masks and so like they're the faces of the of the Krampus style creature is completely covered in fur or wool or fleece. And so typically the Clausen and the Barbaras are in the same group. Like I follow a couple on Instagram and you can see uh the the Clausen und Barbara Verein, right? The That's cool. Yeah. The Clausen yeah. and Barbara group. Um and so, uh, yeah, that, that's a good point to say, too, that if you're interested in like what these things look like, Instagram has become this like really cool repository and collection of all these like modern Krampus mask makers. Yeah. Um, share all kinds of stuff. And if you sort of, you know, follow the links and everything else, you'll find all these people making these costumes who are then posting older traditional yeah. images that they can find. And there's a ton of good stuff. There, there are. I follow. I, fo- I don't know, dozens. I follow dozens of Krampus groups and mass carvers and those kind of things. Uh, the problem is if you just search for like Krampus, you'll more likely find like a modern, like American garbage version right. that does, has nothing to do with tradition. So it, it sometimes helps if you search for more traditional names. If you search for Clausen or Klaubauf, if you search for Berbula, you'll you'll probably find some if you search for uh Teufy instead of Krampus you'll probably find some yeah but they tend to follow each other so if you find one just go to their follows yeah. and then you, and then it'll expand from there or follow you and watch your stories and- true also true because I do share I do share a lot of them um but yeah anyway anytime during advent anytime from like mid-november until early uh, January, incredibly good chance you'll run into uh, a witch or a witchy version of a saint. That's cool. That's the the whole the dark version of the saint. That is new to me. And yeah, I am, um, and it, it makes sense now. But you know, Lucy's like the main one. Barbara um, and Thomas. There, you know, there's other Advent saints. It seems like we could get in there, but there's not really dark Catherines of Alexandria or dark uh, John the Evangelist yeah. or whatever. Um, I don't know why it tends to be those three specifically, but you guys on Apocrypals have done a lot on St. Lucy was, it was like yeah. two or three years uh, ago, I think. Yeah. We've and tried we did a huge and, and even on Barbara too. We we've tried to cover, we try to cover like all of the Advent saints. So yeah. Yeah. Like our, our first year we did, um, we did a St. Nicholas episode, a St. Lucy episode. And since then we've done Catherine of Alexandria, uh, Barbara, 
this year we're doing St. Andrew, who uh, he's associated with vampires of all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, although that won't come up in our St. Andrew episode. I mean, not in the text that we're covering. I'll probably talk about it in the episode. Um, I forget who else we've done, but yeah, we've, we, we try to cover um, the major Advent saints uh, in the days yeah. leading up to Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're interested in sort of the backstory of the saints that are, you know, either either behind some of these traditions or they got added onto them. Apocrypels, that's your place. Saint Barbara is cool. She's the she's the patron saint of explosions. Uh, <laughs> that's so, right. I forgot. That's awesome. That, I mean, and and just to know that there's a group called the Wild Barbaras out there that are running yeah. around the forest. That's that right. Just makes me happy about the world. I think returning to a, a gentler version of witches, mm-hmm. I feel I would be remiss if I didn't mention a very common Christmas decoration and motif. The Hexen House, the Witch's House, the Gingerbread House, really Lebkuchen, which mm. doesn't really have ginger in it. But yeah. um, in Germany, yeah, I mean, you know, in America, Gingerbread houses very common uh, Christmas uh, decoration or activity. Yeah. Um, in Germany, a similar house made of Lebkuchen, the Hexen House, the Witch's House, specifically associated with Hansel and Gretel, is yeah. very common. I was on here... Oh, while back talking about my trips to German Christmas markets. And it was very common to see stalls decorated like a gingerbread house. Um, and it's supposed to supposed to raise associations with Hansel and Gretel because Hansel and Gretel is a Christmas tradition in, in Germany. Thanks to the Engelbert Humperdinck opera. Yeah. Which I've was, heard about the Yeah. Um, yep. First performed on December 23rd, 1893. And like, basically since then it's become one of those annual traditions, like the Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. For us, uh, Hansel and Gretel for them. And I, I think I think Hansel and Gretel carries a connotation of Christmas in Europe in a way that it doesn't in mm-hmm. um, the U.S. I recently watched an older um, uh, horror movie uh, called Whoever Slew Auntie Rue, which is uh, set at Christmas. And it's it's a retelling of Hansel and Gretel. Oh, that's um, cool. it's it's pretty interesting. It's it's very much in that um, that vein of like uh, similar to. I mean, you can tell whoever slew Auntie Rue is supposed to be evocative of whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. Um, and those kind of movies where they they star like an older Hollywood star now um, as a as a dangerously baddie old woman. Um, this one has Shelley Winters in it. Yeah. But I remember when we moved up here uh, just around Chicago now, we started hanging out with the family around Christmas time. One of their big traditions was to have a gingerbread house making contest which is just fun everybody comes over and they got tons of candy and you just you all build gingerbread houses one evening um and one of the little kids was like it's like we're playing hansel and gretel and it was it like clicked all of a sudden i was like oh my god how did i never make this connection before (laughs) and then once i started to find out in germany it's all about that it was like you know that thing where you're like everything's connected yeah (laughs) it's like i see it all now but yeah yeah An, an interesting an interesting thing about uh christmas witches besides the movie from a couple years ago that i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. there's a brand new book also called the legend of the christmas witch unrelated to the movie Very cool. um that is coming out uh november 2021 uh probably i guess will be out by the time this episode hits but um and it is co-written by aubrey plaza from uh parks and recreation and many other movies yes uh co-written by Dan Murphy and with illustrations by Julia Iredale. And it is about Santa's long lost twin sister, who is a witch. That's awesome. Um, 
the, the, let me just read this paragraph from the blurb because the book's not out. I haven't read it. I can't give you a summary on my own, but her story begins many, many years ago when her brother was torn away from her as a child, raised alone by a witch of the woods. Chris Thorne's powers of magic grew as did her temper determined to find her long lost twin. She set out on a perilous journey across oceans to find him. But what she found instead was a deep seated fear of her powers and a confrontation that would leave the fate of Christmas hanging in the balance. Yeah, that sounds so, pretty. That's that's not your standard children's book fair, right there. No, um, cool. I definitely plan on picking one up. It looks interesting. I found out about it a couple months ago, completely by accident, um, and so uh, I've been keeping an eye on it since then. The illustrations look cool. Um, I've fully expected it'll be pretty good. Yeah. So, so we were talking before we mentioned the Easter witches. I feel like we ought to say a little bit more because, yeah, every every year people send me cards and they're like, I found some Bafana stuff and, and it's cool. They're like, this one has five on there. And and I've kind of learned that even before I look at any of the captions or anything, it has more than one. It's an Easter card. It's not going to be Bafana at all. Yep. So, which I'll still, still please keep sending me the cards because people yeah. send me stuff I've never seen all the time. So that's awesome. And I mean, it's, it's tricky, you know, if you don't, if you don't speak, well, Swedish specifically right. in this case, um, you might not know that it says happy Easter on there. Right. Like, the, the word to watch out for is uh is posk uh yeah. p yep. a, a with the little circle over mm-hmm. it sk and that's that's easter um in swedish like like pascal right p a s c h a l in english and it's usually women like dressed like old grandmas you know babushka kind of stuff like yeah. and riding around on on broomsticks yeah but th- this is a tradition in uh sweden and finland um where there's a traditional legend that the each the that witches um, that they fly to um, a mountain in Sweden on the Thursday before Easter, uh, Maundy Thursday, uh, and so as a result, witches are associated with Easter. And these days, it is basically it's a Halloween style holiday where kids dress up like witches and they go trick or treating. That's cool. Um, Seems a little more fun for Easter. Then I mean, getting the eggs is cool and all, but this one, yeah, you kind of can look forward to it and go out and do it somewhere else. I, yeah, yeah, I heard so, approve. So it's it's interesting that uh, just to see like what are what are the key days throughout the year that regionally are associated with witches. I mean, in America, obviously, it's Halloween and nothing else. Yeah, um, in much of Europe, witches are out at Christmas. Uh, they're out at Walpurgisnacht. Uh, you know, the 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 night leading up to. May 1st. Um, also St. John's Eve, the, what I think of as the anti-Christmas, not <laughs> just because it's the, it's at the farthest away from Christmas that you can be right. St. Yeah. John the Baptist born six months before Jesus. Um, and it's like that, the, um, you know, famous, uh, Muzorski night on bald mountain. That's the St. John's Eve piece. And so, oh, cool. and so like, uh, but yeah, like, uh, Valpurgisnacht, they have the big, uh, celebrations up on, um, Hearts Mountain, and I, I know Ryden Hours talked a lot about that on his show too. But um, and then Easter, if you're in if you're in Sweden or Finland, Easter time is witch time. I don't know. It's cool. It's very cool, and it's fun too because the, they always look so happy riding around, like in these cards that I get. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely because they got a slightly witch vibe, but then they're all smiling and laughing, like they're just yeah. so upbeat and colorful, and you know they're all wearing patchy stuff, and and it's all fun. So that's a lot of Christmas witches. Yeah, it is. So I, more than more than we had for werewolves. Definitely. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And I think 
probably enough that would would surprise most people. I think yeah. they would not expect there being this much Christmas witch connection. No, but it does make sense that, like you said, that's the time, especially in Europe, when that like veil between the worlds goes down. And so you get darker things a lot more often and you get these remnants of older pagan traditions or just other local folktale traditions that break through. But it it definitely opens up for a lot more variety. Of yeah. Scary um, things and gift bringers and things to watch absolutely. out for. And, yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's also worth pointing out, I think, that a lot of these traditions are generally older. You know, mm-hmm. these, these are things that probably were at their height from the 1600s through the early 20th century. Right. Um, but, the, but they often are still maintained hyper-regionally uh, yeah. and generally very um, rural and remote areas you know that are separated by mountains and things right. like like as with krampus you're not going to go to berlin and see a krampus right but like you can go to a tiny alpine village in like tyrol and you might yeah um and it's kind of like that thing with bell snickel in the office right how yeah. he was like oh in my tiny little weird family Bellsnickel came instead of Christmas. And, you know, there's actually some truth to that because there are still little pockets, even in the U.S., yeah, places absolutely. where those old traditions are still around. Yep. And, yeah, if if we weren't all so fascinated with it, it might be making fun of it, like, of these kinds of things, like people make fun of him. What's his face? What's his name? Why can't I remember? Dwight. 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 Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, but it's also, that's what's cool, though, is it's still there. And, you know, the internet lets us actually sometimes see stuff, but that probably kills a little bit of it too, which is sad once, once yeah. it becomes a bit more of a sort of tourist thing, but yeah, for sure. I still like to, to know him. And some of it's still just in folktale, you know, like a lot of the stuff right now finds is things that he's found from yeah four or 500 years ago that were written about, but yeah, there are still Christmas witches that are part of celebrations. Well, Benito, thanks. Yep. It's nice that this and going into a little more depth on the Perkson will back up against each other pretty well. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited. And that was good stuff. So what else? We always talk about Apocrypals. We mentioned it before. Tell us again what you got going on for Apocrypals this year for the whole winter season. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So uh, coming up on Apocrypals, we'll have uh, an episode on uh, the Acts of St. Andrew because his day is November 29th. We'll also be having our Hanukkah episode coming up. Hanukkah is pretty early this year. And uh, so we'll be looking at the fifth book of Maccabees, which who knows what'll be in there. Probably a new version of the same story from three of the four earlier books of Maccabees. Um, (laughs) But we'll see. And then uh, our Christmas episode, we'll be looking at a a newly translated text um, about the Magi. And so those should all be fun, but we've got plenty of prior advent and christmas and hanukkah episodes from the last couple of years to check out um that i think are all uh pretty fun and and worth looking at uh the maccabees episodes are always always a treat always in my crazy in my yeah. opinion uh, they all have ghost armies or drunk elephants or something <laughs> in there and i can already by the way think of two places in this time where i'm totally going to pull a chris and have some musical interludes cuz <laughs> nice. things that you said so <laughs> nice. let him know that he I, he has influenced me <laughs> i in, will production influencer yeah um otherwise what are, i have a i have a new podcast that i just started with my Very friends cool. um my friends matt wilson and erica henderson um it is called uh friends till the end it is a recap podcast for the new USA sci-fi original series, Chucky. So the, 
the one awesome. based on the child's play movies. Yeah, Chucky the the killer doll. So uh, every week we watch the new episode of uh, that show and we talk about it and we make predictions for what will happen in the rest of the season. It is pretty fun. Uh, so I've got that. Um, you know what? I did not realize. I, I don't know how I didn't know this, but until everything with Dune came out, my favorite part of the old Dune is Brad Dorif. Oh, yeah. The crazy Mintat. Yeah. And just looking up stuff with him, I never realized he was Chucky's voice. Oh, yeah. He I sure never is. knew that. And I'm like, that yeah. fits so well because yep. he's amazing. I mean, all the way back to, to One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and everything else. Yep. He's such an awesome yep. Awesome and he's actor. he's still doing it, and now his daughter is a major character in the in the franchise as well. Oh wow! So yeah, that's all that's all cool. Uh, on a more Christmas related note, I recently recorded an episode of uh, the podcast uh, Progressively Horrified. I was a guest on there. That is a podcast that looks at horror movies from a um, a leftist perspective and tries to evaluate them through progressive. Yeah politics and uh we watched the movie rare exports um the finnish uh killer santa movie very cool um so uh you can check me out as a guest on that show uh that'll certainly be out by the time this goes up um and then i don't know and if you haven't seen rare exports yet just go yeah it's hilarious you should (laughs) it's It's really good it's streaming a lot of different places yeah um but uh i don't know if people want to see my christmas writing they can um i have a bunch of it up at my Gumroad store and go to gumroad.com slash Benito Serino. And, uh, you can find my Christmas short stories, um, letters from Santa Claus to my nephew that I somehow magically got copies of. Um, my book, uh, alphabet of Christmas will be up there as a PDF, a print, a high quality print quality PDF that you can get all of my stuff on Gumroad is pay what you want, including $0 if you so choose. Um, but so, worth a lot more, I have to say. Uh, well, thank you. And of course my YouTube series, uh, youtube.com slash Benito Serino three, the number three, and you can find my playlist on, uh, the magic and legends of old Christmas. Uh, there's, I think it's 12 videos and it kind of follows chronologically. So it starts with St. Martin's day on November 11th. That's another one we did on a pocket balance. We did St. Martin. Uh, it starts, uh, on Martinmas and it ends on Candlemas, uh, February 2nd. If you wonder why Groundhog's day, what Groundhog's day has to do with candles. Um, I explain it all. <laughs> cool. So plenty of Benito for your listening and reading needs out there but well very cool man thanks again for coming on and i'm sure i'll be bugging you for uh, more favors for stuff later on <laughs> and then i, get you I hope you i hope you will excellent well thanks always always a pleasure and please go check out all that stuff um everything he's got you know like i always say you're one of the smartest christmas people that i know and, oh. and, and entertaining presenting as well oh thank you yeah, definitely. well merry christmas merry christmas to you i will see you around Make a hissing sound when you tiptoe through your house. Once you see her, it is too late to get out. Won't else to scratch your eyes out. She's gonna eat you, no doubt. Ain't this dumb old holiday a bitch? Oh, ring that goddamn bell.
If you're interested in learning more, check out Linda Radish's book, The Old Magic of Christmas. I talked to her a few years ago on the show, and her book definitely includes some of those legends and some other things, too. Al Ridenour's book, Krampus the Christmas Devil, has a lot of great info as well, and you'll hear more from him later, too. Otherwise, there's a lot about Lucy and Barbara scattered around other Christmas history books, but I still haven't really found anything that's like one good clearinghouse of folklore about them. But if anyone else has good suggestions about other Christmas witches we might have missed, please let me know. And it'll be great when Benito finally finishes his Christmas book and gets it published. No pressure, man. No pressure at all. So if you like my little contribution to Holiday Oddities, please send me a note or say hi on social media. You can find me and tons of weird vintage holiday cards on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. Just search for Weird Christmas. If you'd like to help support me and the show, you can donate the cost of a cup of coffee or $3. Definitely not a Starbucks peppermint mocha at ko-fi.com slash weirdchristmas. That's ko-fi.com. You can do multiples of $3 too, which is very, very cool. And in fact, I need to say a very public and very hearty thank you to Brian Airb, who was super, super generous with the coffees last month, kind of out of the blue. Got to say that hit me on a very stressful, very busy day, and you really did pull me out of a funk. So truly, I am grateful for that one. Um, It hit me at a good time. It's always such a cool feeling when this stuff that's, you know, just sitting out there on the internet finds a kindred spirit at a random time, and I get reminded that other people are having fun with this stuff too. So it actually means more, more than you know. And also, meaning more than you know, you can head over to patreon.com and become a patron. One thing, though, um, that I'm going to need to change on there and from other things I've said uh, is that the whole idea of doing monthly shows about holidays throughout the year just hasn't worked out. Um, People were very honest, said they felt a bit forced, and I appreciate that feedback because they were. It's just hard to get as worked up about International Mustard Day as Christmas. So I'm going to change the Patreon format for something a little less demanding on my time, but hopefully more special for when I do put things up. Like, for example, right now I'm sending everyone on Patreon who's put up with me not posting very much a big old stack of actual mailable weird Christmas cards made by another super generous buddy of mine who's professionally printing them professionally during little lulls in his usual professional work. That means they'll look very professional. So I'll still give you other shows and goodies throughout the year, but I've got to change the things that promise one a month. Um, so to those of you who stayed with Patreon, even through its downs, thank you so very much. And thank you to anyone who's come in and out. I mean, even one month of support goes a long way for paying for this hosting and everything, but mainly also for helping me make the short story contest even bigger. Because of all the support in the last year, I was able to make the prizes bigger and give more overall. And I'd love to get the contest up to where I can pay enough to count as an actual pro rate market. So I'm close, but not quite there yet. Well, I'm close for the winners, just not for all the honorable mentions. So all the money goes right back into this thing if you do donate. It's not like I'm buying loads of Christmas books. Maybe one or two, but not a ton. So please consider taking a look at patreon.com slash weirdchristmas. Okay, that's it for this one. The rest of the shows this year are lining up nicely. So for other little previews, I already said that Al Ridenour is going to come talk about the Perkton. And if you don't know what those are, then good. I offer an educational service. We're going to talk about Christmas murder ballads. That's a thing. We'll do the writing contest episode, of course, and a ghost story. Speaking of ghost stories, I got to talk to the editor of the last two Valancourt Book of Christmas Ghost Story volumes, Christopher Filippo, who has a bunch of amazing and 
pretty hilarious anecdotes about odd Christmas things that showed up in newspapers and magazines during the last couple of years. And other things are coming too. So watch your podcast app because I don't know what order they're coming out in yet. I'm no media mogul with the grand plan. I just do this when I feel like it. So until next time, please don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. Keep us girls in line To keep us all busy To keep us all tired So our powers We don't combine